Chapter eighty one, part seven of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part seven. Our parting at the Duke of K.'s house in the country was attended with all the genuine marks of sincere and reciprocal affection, and I lived in the sweet hope of seeing him again in all the transport of his former passion when my lawyer, who received my letters, brought me a billet one night just as I had gone to bed. Seeing the superscription of S.'s handwriting, I opened it with all the impatience of an absent lover, but how shall I describe the astonishment and consternation with which I was seized when I perused the contents? Instead of the most tender vows and protestations, this fatal epistle began with, Madam, the best thing you can do is to return to your father, or some cold and killing expression to that effect. Heaven and earth! What did I feel at this dire conjuncture? The light forsook my eyes, a cold sweat bedewed my limbs, and I was overwhelmed with such a torrent of sorrow and surprise that everybody present believed I would have died under the violent agitation. They endeavoured to support my spirits with repeated draughts of strong liquor, which had no sensible effect upon my constitution, though for eight whole years I had drunk nothing stronger than water, and I must have infallibly perished in the first ecstasy of my grief had it not made its way in a fit of tears and exclamation, in which I continued all night to the amazement of the family, whom my condition had alarmed and raised from their repose. My father was the only person who guessed the cause of my affliction. He said he was sure I had received some ill usage in a letter or message from that rascal S., so he termed him in the bitterness of passion. At mention of that name, my agony redoubled to such a degree that all who were present wept at the sight of my deplorable condition. My poor father shed a flood of tears, and conjured me to tell him the cause of my disquiet upon which, rather than confess the truth, I amused his concern by pretending that my lover was ill. The whole family, having stayed by me till I was a little more composed, left me to the care of my maid, who put me into bed about six in the morning, but I enjoyed no rest. I revolved every circumstance of my conduct, endeavouring to find out the cause of this fatal change in S.'s disposition, and as I could recollect nothing which could justly give offence, concluded that some malicious persons had abused his ears with stories to my prejudice. With this conjecture I got up and sent my lawyer to him with a letter, wherein I insisted upon seeing him that I might have an opportunity of justifying myself in person, a task which would be easily performed, as I had never offended, but in loving too well. I waited with the most anxious impatience for the return of my messenger, who brought me an answer couched in the coldest terms of civility which indifference could dictate, acknowledging, however, that he had nothing to lay to my charge, but that it was for the good of us both that we should part. He ought to have reflected on that before, not after, I had sacrificed my all for his love. I was well-nigh distracted by this confirmation of his inconstancy, and I wonder to this day how I retained the use of my reason under such circumstances of horror and despair. 
my grief laid aside all decorum and restraint i told my father that s was dying and that i would visit him with all expedition startled at the proposal this careful parent demonstrated the fatal consequence of such an unguarded step reminded me of the difficulty which which he had prevailed upon my mother and uncle to forgive my former imprudence observed that his intention was to carry me into the country next day in order to effect a perfect reconciliation but now i was on the brink of forfeiting all pretensions to their regard by committing another fatal error which could not possibly be retrieved and that for his part whatever pangs it might cost him he was resolved to banish me from his sight for ever while he uttered this declaration the tears trickled down his cheeks and he seemed overwhelmed with the keenest sorrow and mortification so it may be easily conceived what were the impressions of my grief reinforced with the affliction of a father whom i dearly loved and the consciousness of being the cause of all his disquiet i was struck dumb with remorse and woe and when i recovered the use of speech i told him how sensible i was of his great goodness and humanity and owned how little i deserved his favour and affection that the sense of my own unworthiness was one cause of my present distraction for such was the condition of my fate that I must either see S or die. I said, though I could not expect his forgiveness, I was surely worthy of his compassion, that nothing but the most irresistible passion could have misled me at first from my duty, or tempted me to incur the least degree of his displeasure, that the same fatal influence still prevailed, and would, in all probability, continue to the grave, which was the only abode in which I hoped for peace while i expressed myself in this manner my dear good father wept with the most tender sympathy and saying i might do as i pleased for he had done with me quitted the room leaving me to the cruel sensations of my own heart which almost burst with anguish upbraiding me with a fault which i could not help committing i immediately hired a chariot and six and would have set out by myself had not my father's affection which all my errors could not efface provided an attendant he saw me quite delirious and desperate and therefore engaged a relation of my own to accompany and take care of me in this rash expedition during this journey which lasted two days i felt no remission of grief and anxiety but underwent the most intolerable sorrow and suspense at last we arrived at a little house called the hut on salisbury plain where in the most frantic agitation i wrote to s describing the miserable condition to which i was reduced by his unkindness and desiring to see him with the most earnest solicitations this billet i committed to the care of my attendant and laid strong injunctions upon him to tell mr s my injuries were so great and my despair so violent that if he did not favor me with a visit i would go to him though at his sister's house where he then was he received my message with great coldness and told my friend that if i would return to london without insisting upon the interview i demanded he would in a little time follow me to town and everything should be amicably adjusted but when the messenger assured him that i was too much transported with grief to hear of such a proposal he consented to meet me in the middle of salisbury plain that we might avoid all observation and though i was little able to walk 
I set out for the place of assignation, my companion following at a small distance. When I saw him leading his horse down the hill, I collected all my fortitude and advanced to him with all the speed I could exert. But when I made an effort to speak, my tongue denied its office, and so lively was the expression of unutterable sorrow in my countenance that his heart, hard as it was, melted at the sight of my sufferings, which he well knew proceeded from the sincerity of my love. At length I recovered the use of speech enough to tell him that I was come to take my leave, and when I would have proceeded my voice failed me again. But after a considerable pause I found means, with great difficulty, to let him know how sensible I was of my own incapacity to retrieve his lost affections, but that I was willing, if possible, to retain his esteem, of which, could I be assured, I would endeavour to compose myself, that I was determined to leave the kingdom, because I could not bear the sight of those places where we had been so happy in our mutual love, and that, till my departure, I hoped he would visit me sometimes, that I might, by degrees, wean myself from his company, for I should not be able to survive the shock of being deprived of him all at once. This address may seem very humble to an unconcerned observer, but love will tame the proudest disposition, as plainly appeared in my case, for I had naturally as much spirit or more than the generality of people have. Mr. S. was so much confounded at the manner of my behavior that he scarce knew what answer to make, for, as he afterwards owned, he expected to hear himself upbraided, but he was not proof against my tenderness. After some hesitation, he said he never meant to forsake me entirely, that his affection was still unimpaired, and that he would follow me directly to London. I imposed upon myself and believed what he said, because I could not bear to think of parting with him for ever, and returned to town in a more tranquil state of mind than that in which I had left my father, though my heart was far from being at ease, my fears being ingenious enough to foresee that I should never be able to overcome his indifference. I took lodgings at Mount Street, and my maid, having disposed of herself in marriage, hired another, who supplied her place very much to my satisfaction. She was a good girl, had a particular attachment to me, and for many years, during which she lived in my service, was indefatigably assiduous in contributing to my ease, or rather in alleviating my affliction. For though S. came up to town according to promise, and renewed a sort of correspondence with me for the space of five months, his complaisance would extend no farther, and he gave me to understand that he had determined to go abroad with Mr. V., whom he accordingly accompanied in his envoying to D. I understood the real cause of this expedition, which, notwithstanding his oaths and protestations of unabated love and regard, I construed into a palpable mark of dislike and disrespect. Nor could the repeated assurances I received from him in letters mitigate the anguish and mortification that preyed upon my heart. I therefore gave up all hopes of recovering the happiness I had lost. I told him on the eve of his departure that he might exercise his gallantry a great while before he would meet with my fellow in point of sincerity and love, for I would rather have been a servant in his house with the privilege of seeing him, 
than the queen of england debarred of that pleasure when he took his leave and went downstairs i shrunk at every step he made as if a new wound had been inflicted upon me and when i heard the door shut behind him my heart died within me i had the satisfaction to hear afterwards he lamented the loss of me prodigiously and that he had never been so happy since I sat down to write a letter, in which I forgave his indifference, because I knew the affections are altogether involuntary, and wished him all the happiness he deserved. I then walked up and down the room in the most restless anxiety, was put to bed by my maid, rose at six, mounted my horse and rode forty miles in order to fatigue myself that I might next night enjoy some repose. This exercise I daily underwent for months together and when it did not answer my purpose i used to walk round hyde park in the evening where the place was quite solitary and unvisited by any other human creature in the course of this melancholy perambulation i was one day accosted by a very great man who after the first salutation asked whether or not my intercourse with mr s was at an end and if i had any allowance from my husband to the first of these questions i replied in the affirmative and to the last answered that my lord did not allow me a great deal indeed i might have truly said nothing at all but i was too proud to own my indigence he then expressed his wonder how one like me who had been used to splendour and affluence from my cradle could make shift to live in my present narrow circumstances and when i told him that i could make a very good shift so i had peace he seemed to lament my situation and very kindly invited me to sup with his wife at his house i accepted the invitation without any apprehension of the consequence and when i went to the place was introduced into an apartment magnificently lighted up i suppose for my reception after i had stayed alone for some time in this mysterious situation without seeing a living soul my inviter appeared and said he hoped i would not take it amiss that he and i were to sup by ourselves as he had something to say which could not be so properly communicated before company or servants i then for the first time perceived his drift to my no small surprise and indignation and with evident marks of displeasure told him i was sure he had nothing to propose that would be agreeable to my inclination and that i would immediately leave the house upon which he gave me to understand that i could not possibly retire because he had sent away my chair and all his servants were disposed to obey his orders incensed at this declaration which i considered as an insult i answered with an air of resolution it was very well i despised its contrivance and was afraid of nothing seeing me thus alarmed he assured me i had no reason to be afraid that he had loved me long and could find no other opportunity of declaring his passion he said the q had told him that lord hm had renewed his addresses to me and as he understood from my own mouth my correspondence with s was absolutely broke off he thought himself as well entitled as another to my regard in conclusion he told me that i might command his purse and that he had power enough to bring me into the world again with a clot to these advances i replied that he was very much mistaken in his opinion of my character if he imagined i was to be won by any temptations of fortune 
and very frankly declared that I would rather give myself to a footman than sell myself to a prince. Supper being served, we sat down together, but I would neither eat nor drink anything except a little bread and water, for I was an odd whimsical girl, and it came into my head that he might perhaps have mixed something into the victuals or wine which would alter my way of thinking. In short, finding himself baffled in all his endeavors, he permitted me about twelve o'clock to depart in peace, and gave up his suit as a desperate cause. This uncomfortable life did I lead for a whole twelve-month, without feeling the least abatement of my melancholy. Finding myself worn to a skeleton, I resumed my former resolution of trying to profit by change of place, and actually went abroad, with no other attendant than my woman, and the utmost indifference for life. My intention was to have gone to the south of France, where I thought I could have subsisted on the little I had left, which amounted to five hundred pounds, until the issue of my lawsuit, by which I hoped to obtain some provision from my lord, and without all doubt my expectation would have been answered had I put this my plan in execution. But, being at Paris, from whence I proposed to set forward in a few days, I sent to M. K., who had been formerly intimate with my father, and showed me many civilities during my first residence in France. This gentleman favored me with a visit, and when I made him acquainted with my scheme, dissuaded me from it as an uncomfortable determination. He advised me to stay at Paris, where, with good economy, I could live as cheap as in any other place, and enjoy the conversation and countenance of my friends, among which number he declared himself one of the most faithful. He assured me that I should be always welcome to his table, and want for nothing. He promised to recommend me as a lodger to a friend of his, with whom I would live in a frugal and decent manner, and observed that, as the woman was well known and esteemed by all the English company in Paris, it would be the most reputable step I could take, considering my youth and situation, to lodge with a creditable person who could answer for my conduct. Thus persuaded, I very simply followed his advice. I say simply, because notwithstanding his representations, I soon found my money melt away without any prospect of a fresh supply. In lieu of this, however, I passed my time very agreeably in several English and some French families, where in a little time I became quite intimate, saw a great deal of company, and was treated with the utmost politeness and regard. Yet in the midst of these pleasures, Many a melancholy sigh would rise at the remembrance of my beloved S., whom for several years I could not recollect without emotion. But time, company, amusements, and change of place, in a great measure dissipated these ideas, and enabled me to bear my fate with patience and resignation. End of chapter 81, part 7